This morning we move into chapter 5, perhaps some of the most practical instruction that Paul gives in the entire letter. And we just finished a section that focused on the godliness that Timothy should exhibit and model to the congregation in Ephesus. And I think Paul's instructions to Timothy in this passage are so timely because we live in a time for many churches in the West especially, where we segregate so much of our congregations by life stage and by age. And of course, some of this is needed, right? We wouldn't want toddlers sitting in an adult Sunday school class. Not only would they not be able to understand the teaching, but the adults in the room would not want to smell the smell of dirty diapers. So there is a sense developmentally when there are times when we do need to divide ourselves so that teaching can be appropriate at certain points and in certain stages of life. But we also, sometimes to our own detriment, segregate and structure programs and ministries specifically for a target audience and it causes generational divides within the body. So for example, many of us probably grew up in churches where we have ministries that focused on young adults and single adults and high schoolers and children and college students and middle-aged adults and parents of preschoolers and young adults without children and senior adults with children still living at home and senior adults with children that have gone. And the more and more divided we get, the more the whole family of faith oftentimes doesn't know one another and doesn't interact with one another in the way that we see Paul talking about in this passage. And the example given to us in Titus chapter 2 of older men pouring into younger men and older women pouring into younger women can only happen when the entire church knows one another. And the best way to know one another is actually to not divide out this way. So why... Is Paul writing these remarks to Timothy in this passage? Paul is basically telling Timothy, here is the importance of what a multi generational church looks like. Here's why it's important because it is the church who is supposed to care for people of all ages within the church. The instruction that he relates to Timothy deals with in this passage older men and older women in the church. And how the church and its pastors should relate, because Timothy's a young pastor, how will Timothy relate to older members in his church? And how will the church at large care for the widows in the church that have lost their husbands? So because Paul gives advice to Timothy about how to manage these relationships with older people and with widows, then we as a church should follow this advice. And make sure that the pastors are relating to older saints in the way prescribed in this passage. And also that the widows of our church are cared for according to the guidelines laid out by Paul here. So I want to point out for you from this very practical passage three truths that are really important. Number one, the church is comprised of young and old. Number two, the role of the family... With widows, and then number three, the role of the church with widows. So, number one, the church is comprised of young and old. Number two, the role of the family with widows. And number three, the role of the church when it comes to widows. Number one, 
the church is comprised of young and old. Due to Timothy's age, which we have established, he was at a minimum early 20s, at max maybe early 40s. So he's a relatively young pastor. And Paul instructs Timothy in the early verses of this chapter to encourage the older saints rather than outright rebuke these older saints and to view the membership in Ephesus through the lens of family. So as a young pastor, I am very appreciative of Paul's advice to Timothy here. It's difficult when you are young to rebuke people who are older than you. Many of you in this room, in fact, most of you in this room, I would consider to be more like my parents and my grandparents than my brothers and sisters. And I've been taught since a very young age that you always respect your elders. And so what Paul tells Timothy in this passage is when you have to have a difficult conversation with an older saint, do so primarily through the lens of encouragement rather than through the lens of rebuke. So which scenario to you comes across as more respectful? John, you are being a complete jerk to your wife. You're disobeying the scriptures, and if you don't stop acting this way, you will be removed from the membership of the church. Or, John, and by the way, I'm not talking about any John in this ring. John Doe, perhaps. I've noticed that you are not treating your wife with the respect and love that she deserves. You have always been a man who desired to do what the scriptures teach. And I want to encourage you to be a godly husband in every aspect of your life. Because I know it will bless you, it will bless your wife, it will bless your church, and most importantly, it will bless the Lord. How can I help you as a pastor and friend improve in this area? I'm pretty sure the latter one is going to come across a little softer with that older gentleman in the church who I might have to have this difficult conversation with. So as one commentator put it, the goal of Paul's instructions here in verse 1 and 2 is for Timothy to use gentle persuasion as he rebukes that older brother in Christ rather than browbeating. Now sometimes a pastor might think that the only way he can get his point across is if he uses a forceful and harshful tone, which I have been guilty of, as many of you know. But because pastors are often viewed as nice people, nice guys, sometimes they overcorrect and they use more forceful and harshful tones when in reality, if they would encourage that older brother in the faith, it would be received much more appropriately. Paul reminds Timothy that he should treat these older men like fathers. And he should treat these younger men like brothers and older women like mothers. This goes back to this idea of we are a family. This is what Paul is talking about here. This is what we're trying to communicate to our children earlier in the children's sermon, that they don't view us just as people they go to church with, but as spiritual mothers and fathers and spiritual brothers and sisters. The only extra piece of advice 
that Paul gives to Timothy here is when he relates to younger women as sisters. You will notice that he gives that extra piece of advice with absolute purity. So Paul is telling Timothy, guard yourself in conversations that you might have with younger women due to the nature of your role as a pastor, but also for the good of the church at large. So while Paul's advice to Timothy is important, the application for us as a church is to be the type of church where men and women, young and old, single and married, can have relationships with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, as fathers and mothers in Christ, older saints in the room. I just want to encourage you to go out of your way to pour into the younger generation of our church. Love them, support them, encourage them, and care for them the same way you would care for your own children because they need you we need you we need your wisdom we need your godliness we need your example younger members in the church let me encourage you to look up to the older saints in our church as spiritual mothers and fathers and spiritual grandmothers and spiritual grandfathers this is the type of church we should be not segregating ourselves out by generation but pouring into one another because this is the example that Paul gives us in the scriptures. It would thrill my soul to see some older saints step out of their comfort zone, perhaps leave their community group, and go and join a community group that is full of younger couples so that they could pour in to those individuals. It would thrill my soul for some younger couples to step out and just go join a community group of older saints so that they can be poured into, they can be loved and cared for. Younger people, invite an older couple into your house. Let them have dinner in your home. Let them play with your children. Older members, invite a younger family into your house. Take them out to eat after church. Younger families are always looking for a handout. We'll take free food. I'm more than happy for you to pay for me to go eat or, or come to your house. I never turn down dinner invitations. And I would venture to guess most of the young people in our church won't either because we love free handouts. But what a beautiful way for the church to get to know one another, multi-generational. Ask them how you can pray for them and encourage them. If we as a church have these types of relationships, which Paul is communicating here in these verses, I guarantee you this, God will bless our efforts. He will. He will bless our efforts because this is the way he has designed the church of Jesus Christ to be. It might be awkward, it might be difficult at first, but over time, God will bless these types of relationships. So that we consider one another, not just members that we go to church with on Sunday, but spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers, spiritual sons, spiritual daughters. This is the way God designed his church to operate. So even though in almost every area of life outside of the church, marketing is targeted at specific demographics, this is not the way the church of Jesus Christ should be. We should be a multi-generational place where people from all backgrounds 
single, married, divorced, widowed, can come together and feel like if no other place on the earth makes them feel comfortable, this should be the place where people feel loved and cared for and encouraged. We are this place. You are my people, all of you. I am more comfortable in this room on Sunday morning because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, shed for me and shed for you, than at almost any other part of my life. The church is comprised of young and old, Paul tells us. But number two, he kind of shifts the focus of this passage to talking about the importance of making sure that widows are cared for. But he starts by talking about the role of the family with widows. So the banner over this whole section is verse 3. Underline it in your Bible. Honor widows who are truly widows. So everything Paul is going to say from this point forward is based off what he's saying in this verse. Honor the widows who are truly widows. Now, before we even unpack all of the discussion here, let's just be real. The conditions in first century Ephesus are vastly different from what it means to be a widow in 2023. For example, many widows today have access to life insurance policies, social security, retirement accounts, and perhaps other safety nets to ensure that they are taken care of financially. These types of financial safety nets did not exist in first century Ephesus. But even though the cultures are very different, the goal in Paul's instruction is for widows to be honored, and that still applies to us today. So there are four types of widows that Paul discusses from verse 3 all the way to verse 16. Here are these four types of widows. Older widows with family to help them. Older widows with no family to help them. Older widows who are self-indulgent, and younger widows. Those are the four categories. Older who have family, older who do not have family, older who are self-indulgent, and then younger widows. So let's begin with this first group. Older widows with family to help them. If a widow has family, Paul says, it is the family's responsibility to care for that widow so as not to burden the church. Look at verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. A sign of godliness is when children or grandchildren take care of widows in their family. It is a way to honor the instructions that Paul gives to the church at Ephesus, but also a way to honor the fifth commandment. That is given to Moses and the people of Israel. Exodus 20, 12. It says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Most of the time, most of the time, it is our parents who fed us, bathed us, supported us financially and materially, helped us with our homework, drove us around from activity to activity, sat in the rain, the wind, the heat, and the cold when they could have been spending their time doing something else, taking care of us when we were sick, holding us when we were sad, encouraging us when we were down, and rebuking us when we needed correction. They changed our diapers when no one else wanted to do it. 
And there might come a point in time when we, as children and grandchildren, might even have to change their diapers. And I don't say that jokingly. This is a responsibility that God has given to the family. So will it be convenient always to take care of widows in our family? No, it won't be. Will it require sacrifice? More than likely, yes. But look at the sobering words that Paul gives us here to describe those family members who neglect their duties in caring for the widows in verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul is saying to not care for the widows within your family amounts to denying the faith and is worse than someone who is not in Christ. So when family members ignore or refuse to care for the widows in their family, they are damaging the witness of the gospel to a lost world. Mounts, in his commentary, argues that more than likely this phrase, denied the faith, should probably not be understood as apostasy from the faith, but it still communicates to a lost world that apparently the gospel doesn't have power over these types of family relationships. So the practical point for you and me this morning is if we have widows in our family, we are to care for them. We are to love them. Paul wants Timothy to teach the church at Ephesus this because apparently some in the congregation were not rightfully taking care of those who were their responsibility. And by not taking care of those that were their responsibility, that burden was falling upon the church in a way that it should not have been falling on them. When the family falls short in caring for widows, the church, as a result, suffers because its resources are being used in a way that they should not have to be used in order to properly care for those. So there is a role of the family when it comes to caring for widows. But there is also the role of the church when it comes to caring for widows. The final three types of widows would fall into this category. The responsibility of the church. So let's discuss these older widows in verse 6. These would be older widows who are living a lifestyle contrary to the ways of Christ. Paul says, But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Apparently there were a group of widows in Ephesus that were not living godly lives. Paul is saying the church is not responsible for widows who are clearly living for their own pleasures and living for their own selfish pursuits. Paul describes them as dead, even though they are still alive. The church is comprised of those who have repented of sin and placed their faith in Christ. And since these widows were not exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit... Their conversion to faith in Christ was not evident. And so Paul tells Timothy the church is not responsible in any way to help these widows because by their behavior they actually prove that they are not part of the church. So widows who are self-indulgent and clearly not living fruitful lives that display evidence of conversion to faith in Christ. Paul is telling Timothy, your resources do not need to be exhausted. On that category of widows. 
But then he says in verses 9 and 10, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. This passage, generally speaking, is interpreted in one of two ways. There are some that believe that these widows were actually enrolled in a program within the church that went out to perform good works for the church. That is one view that you often see. Meaning, because they had proven themselves faithful to Christ, the church enlisted them to do ministry as a way of staying busy for the Lord in their final years of life without obligation to a husband or caring for a family. So that's one interpretation. The other interpretation is that these are simply widows who, due to their faithfulness to the church and to Christ, are now entering a season of life where the church will provide and care for them. I think this particular interpretation is more faithful to the text. The women who were enrolled were those that the church pledged to take care of. And the reason that they would take care of them is because of these good works that they exhibited throughout their life. This entire passage is about widows who should be cared for and widows who should not be cared for. So I think that interpretation makes more sense rather than enlisting these women to perform specific duties on behalf of the church. So what qualified one for being enrolled? Paul says, less than 60 years of age. Now, this is not a hard and fast rule. So in other words, if there was a widow in Ephesus who was 59 years old and 11 months and 29 days, I genuinely doubt they were rejected from being enrolled as a widow. So less than 60 was a one-man woman and had a reputation for good works. We should not view these good works as some checklist, as if they didn't perform all of these perfectly, they would not be allowed to be enrolled in this program. But generally speaking, these were faithful women in the church who gave evidence of authentic conversion to faith in Christ in acts of good service towards those in their communities. If that were the case, if these duties had to be laid out and demonstrated perfectly then no widow would have been able to enroll in this program. So this is not a legalistic thing in which tons and tons of women were rejected who had done good things in the life of the church. But some of the things that Timothy and the church should look for is, have they raised children? Since one of the designs of God for women is to have children, if they are able. Is she hospitable? Does she care for those who have been afflicted? Washing the feet of saints in a dry and dusty area where people wore open-toed shoes, by the way, would have been a very loving task to perform. Praise God we don't live in that type of environment today. But this is what these women would do. 
Has she cared for the afflicted? And then Paul just kind of summarizes it by saying, has she devoted herself to every good work? Which is kind of a catch-all phrase for a woman who is doing all that she was supposed to be doing as a Christian. These are the types of widows, Paul says, that the church should be providing for. Assuming they have no family to care for them, this would be the way that the church can care for them properly. Because, going back to verse 3, this would be a way of honoring widows who are truly widows. So it means for us as a church, we must ask these same questions. Are we faithfully caring for the widows in our midst? Those who have no family to care for them. Are we honoring them? Do we even think about the widows in this way? While the idea of providing for widows in our context might look very different from the way it looks in first century Ephesus, let us never forget what James tells us in his letter. Chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So it's not that we should consider caring for widows, but that we must care for widows. Because this is what Paul tells Timothy to do in this passage. But there is one more category of widows that Paul addresses here. And it is younger widows. He actually writes that they should not be enrolled because it seems that there were some in Ephesus who were more concerned about remarrying and following their own sensual desires than they actually were about being cared for by the church. Now, we don't know all the specifics as to why Paul highlighted these younger widows as some who should not be considered, but apparently we've given enough information to know that some of these younger widows were receiving benefits from the church, but they were not actually exercising good works. Paul tells us that they were going from house to house as busybodies and as gossipers. Some even think that they perhaps were spreading some of the false teaching which is the very reason that Paul wrote this letter to begin with. They were marrying non-Christian men and they were leaving the faith altogether. They were going from house to house, engaging in what would be considered inappropriate behavior that was not building up the church. This, Paul says, would be an example of widows who were not truly widows. Instead, what does Paul urge the younger widows to do in this passage? He encourages them to remarry, to have children, to manage their households so that they are not tempted by Satan to give in to being gossipers and busybodies in this way. They would be less likely to engage in this behavior, Paul says, if they were to remarry, if they were to have children, if they were to take care of their house. Now, this is not a formal command for every young widow in the church to automatically remarry. But in first century Ephesus, it did help reduce the burden on the church. Because now these younger widows belonged to a husband, belonged to a family where their needs could be met and cared for. And Paul concludes this passage with a reminder 
that any believing woman who has relatives who are widows, they should also be caring for them. So that, again, the church doesn't take on the responsibility of caring for widows who have family members that can care for them. It's a reminder, as he concludes the passage, whether you are a man, whether you are a woman, a family has an obligation to care for the widows within their family unit to ensure that the church is not burdened in a way that it doesn't need to be burdened. Some of you might be wondering, why does this passage matter for us as a church? First Baptist Dothan. As I said earlier, we live in a very different world from first century Ephesus. We have Social Security and Medicare and retirement accounts and life insurance. And many of our widows probably in this room today are okay, perhaps, financially. But this passage is not simply about financial security. It's about more than that. The membership of this church all shares the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us on the cross. Spiritual blood, as I've said throughout this book, spiritual blood supersedes biological blood. And many times I don't think we get that. Spiritual blood, the blood shed for all of those that are in Christ throughout the course of the New Testament, as I read it, seems to be more important than biological blood. It's not that we don't care for our biological families. We obviously have a command from Paul to do so. But spiritual blood trumps and supersedes the blood that connects us biologically. So some tangible steps that we as a church could take from this passage. Invest in our widows. Invest in one widow in our church. So I'm making an assumption by giving you that tangible step. That would be, you know who the widows are in our church. And if you don't know, we can help you with that. We know who our widows are. Write notes to her. Invite her into your home. Encourage her. Take her to lunch after church. Pray for her and with her. Be her handyman. Go to her house and change out the light bulbs. And if anything more complex than that, I would have to call someone to do it. But some of you might actually have the gift of being a handyman. And so you can do these things. An alone person in our church is an emergency. No one within the body of Christ should feel alone, particularly those who are widows. The gospel compels us to be this type of church. We should honor widows, Paul says, who are truly widows because we are a family of faith, united in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus. This is who we are. We are family. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these practical words of advice that Paul gives to Timothy. And while our social setting might be very different, the application still rings true. We are to honor widows in our church who are truly widows. God, help us to make sure that this 
portion of our church is cared for and loved and encouraged and supported. Because as James tells us, this is religion that's pure and undefiled before you, that we care for widows and orphans. We thank you that the gospel of Jesus Christ unites us to one another. If there are any here today who do not know you, we pray that your spirit would move in their hearts and that gospel seeds will be planted and that according to your divine plan, at some point we pray that that individual would respond to the good news of the gospel in repentance and faith. And for those of us who are in Christ, may this message today compel us to make sure we are caring properly for those in this body. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.